0: In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judea. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search carefully for the child. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route.
1: What I'd call an Australian experience there. Uh, there's something really weird about hearing that story read while sunbathing in June, isn't there? But that's really because, as I said, we're looking at the king, the king who was promised, the king who's coming back, but the king who actually came as a little child. And that's our topic very briefly for this morning. Can I just say it's been amazing watching you parents. Something that's sort of outside of my complete zone of reference is this idea of how you guys can look after your your, your tribe of children at an event like this. But let me tell you, did anybody see the duck and the ducklings? down at the lake. Incredible. Ten of them. And I thought if you guys thought you had a hard time, you want to go down and look at what, how that duck tries to keep hold of ten ducklings at the side of a lake. It was quite incredible. But it's been really good, being part of this, uh, this weekend. And uh, I just want to give you a couple of thoughts from that story that uh, was read for us by Esther. And uh, it's something which it's something which I think has always struck me as part of the Christmas story that just blows my mind. Gwen uh, went to school in Dublin uh, with Lady Emma Guinness from the massive big farmly estate uh, in Castlenock and Phoenix Park. Uh, a little bit like this. And she tells stories of how she would go after school and, uh, you know, her her mum's little Fiat 125 would chug up the driveway uh, with all the Rolls Royces and limousines and it would drop her off. And she would play around the courtyards and the stables. And then inside would be the grand entrance hall and the dining room. And the ballroom where they did ballet, don't laugh. And then there was the, uh, the library where she wasn't allowed uh, to go with Emma. That was her, the father's place. Uh, and all the events and fun that they had there. But the thing that I love about the story isn't Gwen messing around in this big fancy manor or castle. Um, it's about what happened when Lady Emma came to play with Gwen uh, in her house in a much smaller dining room in a much smaller playroom and they would go to this ramshackle old hay shed and mess about and have games and all down there. Something about Lady Emma just being normal in a normal little home with a, a small little farm in North Dublin. Uh, and that's just, I suppose, something that uh, strikes me when I think of the even more massive journey that Jesus made to the stable in Bethlehem. The king came to a stable. And I just want to ask you to remember uh, for this, this main part of what I'm saying this morning, uh, four things that strike me about that passage. One is, you're never too clever so that you can't still look or search. You're never so wise or clever that you still can't search and look for truth and for God. These guys from the East, these three kings or three wise men or whatever they were, were really, really bright. I mean, guys, they wrote the textbooks that you study at school. These guys put names to the stars that are in the sky. And yet something was happening that they realized was way beyond their knowledge. It wasn't a comet. It wasn't an asteroid. It wasn't some planet. But something was happening that said to them, there is a new king born. And they traveled a long way to find out. They knew that they still didn't know it all. I think it's a real danger, especially as we get up through school and then we get our grades and hopefully, you know, do okay and do what we want to do with those. And some of us might go to college and I work with students and it's really annoying and frustrating to find students sometimes who think that they know it all. they, They know everything. I think it was Mark Twain that said that when he was 17, he was convinced he knew it all and that his father knew nothing. And when he was 21, he was amazed how much his father had learned in four years. You know, we sometimes think we've studied it all, we know that, we've been there, we've done that. And again, to talk to some students and others, um, even folks who were at college and me who say, well, that was okay, Monty, when I was back at, you know, at college or school, but I've grown out of that now. Just remember these three kings who had studied all there was to study about the world and yet were blown away by the fact that this new king could come in such a spectacular way and in such a place that they would never expect a stable in a little out-of-the-way place like Bethlehem. You're never too clever so that you still can't look. And secondly, you're never so far away that you still can't come. These guys had an enormous journey Some of the older people who maybe like a bit of poetry will remember T.S. Eliot's poem about the journey of the Magi and how it just gives an example of how grueling that long, long camel ride was from the east over to Bethlehem. Uh, and yet it was worth every bit of the journey, they realised that although they were from a different religion, although they worshipped different gods, it was still possible for them to know the true God. Even though they lived thousands of miles away, it was still possible for them to come close to God. And sometimes there's folks who feel, I'm too far away, Monty, I'm not religious. Maybe some of your neighbours, some of your friends, maybe even in your own journey at times you have felt, I'm too far away from God. It's not possible I don't belong there. You're never so far away that you still can't come. Because at the birth of Jesus, those who were as far away as you could think of in the ancient world, the distant, distant tribes, came. And in fulfillment of a prophecy from Psalm 72, they gave their honor and they gave their gifts to this new king. You're never so far away that you still can't come. And the third thing is you're never so powerful that you still can't bow. These guys, if they weren't kings, sometimes were more likely to be people of great authority in their land and great wisdom. They carried a lot of power. They were able to finance and get the permission to travel a long distance. They had the power. They had the resources. They had everything that maybe some of the younger ones would like when you grow up. I'd love to have all that wealth. They had the power and the authority, and yet when they saw this baby, they bowed down. Isn't there something really out of place about that? That suddenly these guys who had the power to order their servants around and to take take power in their own country would leave that aside and come and actually bow down, not before somebody who looked so much more wealthy and so much more powerful, but bow down before a little baby like we have over here. Incredible, absolutely incredible. You're never so powerful that you can't bow. And maybe as we get older and as we get a bit of influence, and maybe we might become boss of our company, or we might become even, I don't know, we might become head boy at school, or we might become, um, we might even become an elder in the church, or we might become uh, somebody with great influence in society. Don't forget. No matter how much you have made it in this world, you still need to bow before the king of kings who is in the stable. And then fourthly and finally, you're never so rich or poor that you can't give. These guys had lots of wealth, so you can say it's all right for them. Their gifts were interesting. Gold, okay, that's good. Gold for a king would expect that. But do you remember the first talk those of you who were in that Jesus isn't just our king he's also our priest he's our priest king. Isn't it interesting that the gifts that he got at his birth were gold for a king and incense for a priest. These guys who brought their gifts must have really known what this king needed. as much as the guys who put the welcome presents into our rooms knew that I needed chocolate and shower gel. It was great. Thank you very much. But these kings really uh, knew what this new king needed. Uh, gold, because he was king. Incense, because he was a priest. And then myrrh, because he was going to die. Imagine giving a child. It's like giving, the young, giving a birth, going to a baby shower and bringing grave papers with you. It's like that. You know, giving a baby something that he would need when he died. They had real insight as to what this king would need. And it doesn't matter who we are. We don't need to have the wealth that they had because if you look at the beginning of Jesus' life, he was given gifts by a rich person. At the end of his life, he was given a gift by a rich person, Joseph, who who gave him his tomb. But in between, he always accepted the love and the gifts of the poorest of the poor, the widow's small coin, the woman who spent all that she had on on a jar of perfume, He was always reaching out so that those, even though they didn't have a lot, could still give him what they had. And you're never so poor that you can't give him your heart, you can't give him your love. So remember that. You're never so uh, wise or clever that you can't search. You're never so far away that you can't come. You're never so powerful that you can't buy. And you're never so poor or rich that you can't give God what he wants if you're serving this king. I'll be back just to round off in a few minutes, but I think we're probably going to sing again, are we? Thank you Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Glad you weren't saying that to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. With a, a, a couple of stories, one of them's very brief, but a couple of stories that I, I hope you will, will help you to remember. Our theme: Has anybody ever read or had read to them, or has seen on television, the story of the prince and the pauper? The prince and the poor boy? Anybody have that? It's a wonderful, wonderful story. And I'm going to tell you how it starts, and then, if you want to, you can find out later how it ended. It was about two boys in the same city. One was the prince, and he lived in the palace, a little bit like this. And the other was a poor boy who lived in a street near the palace. And uh, eventually they got to see one another because the little prince would go to the gate of the palace and he would look out at the world that he wasn't allowed to go out and see because he was kept safe in the palace. And uh, he would sometimes wonder what is it like to go out into that other world out there with all those other young boys and girls. And the other little boy, he came... And uh, he would look in and he'd wonder what would it be like to live in a palace like that. And eventually one day they came to the gate at the same time. And they got talking. And they found out that they played the same sort of games in the street or in the playroom in the palace. And they started playing with marbles and sticks and stones through the gate. Because the prince wasn't allowed to go out. And the, the little boy of course wasn't allowed in to the palace grounds but at the gate they would sit and they would play and they would talk and they discovered that really if things were different they could be best friends and every day they used to look forward to going and meeting each other and then they realised you know it's quite funny because we look very alike we could almost pass for brothers or twins and one day the little boy outside said you know I'd love to be a prince And the prince says, no, no, it's very boring being a prince and being stuck in here all day. You know what, I'd love to be like you. I'd love to go out there and see what it's really like with all those other boys and girls. And so one day they noticed that the guy who was meant to be looking after the prince and uh, the the gatekeeper was asleep. And they said, you know, why don't we actually swap for one day you can live as the prince and i can live in your house with your family and then we'll experience what it's like and they thought this was a great idea so they took their opportunity and they got the key off the gatekeeper they swapped clothes and then the poor boy became the prince and the prince became the poor boy and they, uh, they they went and they said, this is great. And, you know, I get to sleep in your bed tonight and you get to sleep in my bed. So they thought this was great and they went off to explore the new world. But, you know, something happened that night. That night as they were sleeping in the, in the others' beds, what happened was that the prince's father, the king, died suddenly. And that meant that the prince was now going to be king. The trouble was it wasn't the prince... It was now the poor boy. And of course the word got out round the city that the king is dead. And the guy who was the prince, who was now the poor boy, was saying to the poor family, Hey, I've got to get back. I'm not really your son. I'm the prince and my father the king has died and I'm now king. And of course they laughed at him. And all his friends laughed at him and said, Don't be stupid. And of course the little boy was being woken up by the, by the king's courtiers and saying, You're now the king. You've got to come and get ready for the coronation ceremony. And he goes, no, 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 I'm not the king. I'm just a poor boy. The king's outside. And they thought, oh, he's just nervous about being king. And it was an amazing disaster because suddenly the poor boy was stuck inside trying to be, not wanting to be king. And the prince was outside wanting to be king, but he wasn't allowed in. Now, if you want to find out how that story ends, you can do two things. You can go to a library or you can get your parents to find it or download it or whatever and read it to you. Or you can talk to Gwen, who had to tell that story in India uh, to lots of boys and girls and realised that she didn't know the ending, so she just made one up. So uh, whatever you fancy. But it's a great story because it, it shows you exactly what happened that first Christmas. The king, the prince, became poor for us so that we could become children of the king. That's exactly what happened. We think, what would it be like to be princes and princesses? Well, because of Jesus, we can be. We can be because he came into our world just like the prince did into the dirty streets of his city. My final story is this I want to go back to Gwen's friend Lenny Emma in Dublin and all those uh, times that they would have played in each other's houses. And uh, Gwen said that her mother used to lose sleep over what should you wear when you go to s- play with Lady Emma, particularly when they had this big fancy dress party. And spent ages thinking, how can we compete with the costumes of all her other friends? And eventually, they dressed her up as an Austrian peasant. And uh, she went and she said, you know, I won the fancy dress party. I said, That's amazing that's amazing, you won a fancy dress party in Lady Emma Guinness's house. And she rather sheepishly said, well, you know, I'm pretty sure it was the worst costume in the room, but that I got the prize because I was Lady Emma's best friend. And you know, I think that that again is a wonderful illustration that in order to be accepted into God's family, it's not what we do, it's not what money we have, It's not what the the great things that we think we've achieved or the time we've spent on working or serving. The way we get accepted and to be the best friend of the king and his family is simply because he chose us and he loves us. It's nothing that we do. We are children of the king because of what he has done for us. And he welcomes us in, not because we look good in our Austrian peasant's costume, But he gives us white robes that we don't deserve. And he gives us a seat at the top table in the big dining room, at the big feast he's prepared for all his people. Not because we deserve it, but because he loves us. I'm going to hand back to Sam now and hope that you remember that about all that we've been saying this weekend about the king and what it means to be a member of his family.